Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of fantasy romance and romantic fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. That's excellent. It's been a busy morning here. I had to take the car in to get uh, the oil changed. Oh, I should say it's um, Tuesday, July 27th, 727. 7s and 27s are my favorite numbers. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, had to take my car in to get the oil changed. I um, have had multiple appointments to do this. It's we we have sort of a little local mechanic um, that we take our carts to and mine is an older Jaguar XJS convertible my baby and um, so you know we don't do like the Jiffy Lube thing. So we have to make an appointment because he's very busy very much in demand and uh, I'd had an appointment before that I had to cancel and then I had another replacement appointment that I totally spaced I forgot. So this is my third try and we took the car over early this morning about seven after our walk and dropped it off and the mechanic called me at seven thirty and said that uh, when he tried to pull it around the car alarm went off and I know why it's it's a weird thing about about the Jag that um because I locked it with the key fob and if you lock it with the key fob and unlock it with the key even the chip key the alarm will go off and vice actually I don't know vice versa but definitely that way it will happen. So he was like I woke up the neighborhood it was really loud alarm. (laughs) So then David was supposed to have the oil changed in the Camry too. So he went and took the Camry down there and brought the Jag back and then he'll drop the Jag back later um, because it turned out that uh, the mechanic Dave also Dave uh, did not have the oil filter and he was apologetic. He's like usually we have that oil filter and we don't. And I said well no big deal. <laughs> it's been a comedy of errors trying to get this oil change done. So, so yeah, I am. I'm running a little behind schedule. It's a uh, well, we're three minutes and I started at eight fifteen, but we've got a little bit of cloud cover uh, coming up in the east, so not quite as um, sun in my eyes as yesterday. Uh, so it's um release date, <laughs> date release day, yeah for Ms. Dorinda Jones. Congratulations Dorinda on um, a good day for Chardonnay I believe is yes. It's funny even she gets confused by the uh, the names but the first book was a bad day for sunshine. This is a good day for Chardonnay uh, releasing today. So woohoo woohoo Ms. D. It was fun. I got to beta read that book and was with her for a lot of the writing it. So that's awesome. Uh, I've been continuing to get uh, feedback on my post the other day about paying presenters. Um, 
sure struck a nerve. There's been a lot of interesting comments that people have come back with. Uh, one really cool one is a, the gal who uh, runs the Surrey Writers Conference. She grabbed the tweet and quote tweeted it and said, oh, I was trying to avoid that from happening. Maybe I can. There. I accidentally left Google Hangouts open from when I was chatting with the darling Kelly Robson. Uh, so anyway, the, um, I would, I was going to see if I could grab her tweet. I should have done this before. Um, cause I wanted to get her exact, uh, wording on this. Okay. So her name is Kathy Chung and pull up her bio. Yeah. Coordinator is her title. Coordinator of the Surrey International Writers Conference, um, among other things that she does. But so she quote tweeted this and she said, the conference I plan is not for profit and our budget is tight. All capital letters. We still play we still pay flights, hotel, food, a modest honorarium, the same for all presenters contributing the same and full passes to presenters. If you can't offer that much, you can't afford to run a conference in my opinion. And I think she is spot on. I think she's exactly right. And it's just, they do it because that is their premise. That is what they figure into their costs. They don't figure their costs as being okay. Well, and we'll have people present for free. Someone else pointed out that, uh, for a professional conference that she wanted to, or professional, an academic conference that she was considering going to, that you had to register for the conference, um, to even be considered for programming. And so it was a $300 registration fee and you didn't know if you would be a presenter or not. Um, so not only are you not getting paid, but you're paying in, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I do think that it comes down to things like the market economy, you know, that, uh, plenty of people will do stuff for free. So then they don't have to, you know, it's like, oh, well, but you know, it's promo exposure. Um, in this case, one of my friends commented, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we're supposed to, you know, want to do it for exposure. And I said, you know, and at this point, <laughs> this particular one, their attitude seemed to be, um, not that I was desperate for exposure, but that I'm somehow so rich and successful that I can afford to donate my time, which, <laughs> you know, it's, they kind of get you coming and going people. So, um, it's been interesting hearing everyone's comments. What I would love to see, and I know that this is a change that isn't easy to make happen, but you know, if we all refuse to work for free, then they're going to have to start paying people to do stuff. Um, I, I don't know. It would take, it, it would take a while, but I do feel like this is a standard we have to cling to. And then of course, some people get 
massive speaker fees. Um, you know, and like Neil Gaiman has faced criticism for charging $50,000 for a speaker's fee. And <laughs> the reason he does it is a, he can, <laughs> but because people have paid it and B because he needs to have time to write. And if he accepts all speaking engagements, Oh, your Joe, has strong opinions. Yes. Well, I see. Looks like we're feeding babies. Got a, a big bug in the beak there. I don't know where that nest is. I'm trying to see where Tohi's going. Huh. We have the curved build thrasher babies on the front porch again this year. Um, and the parents are working hard to feed them. Hardworking parents. Gotta salute you all. Keep those hungry little mouths fed. Um, oh, but the main reason that he does that is because to create a, a prohibitive barrier because otherwise he would be having to, uh, you know, either be spending all his time speaking and not writing or, um, refusing and upsetting people because he, you know, you accept some and not others. So at least the prohibitive fee creates a barrier. And I'm put in mind, you know, I mentioned yesterday that I have assistant Kareem filter offers, um, and requests and how people try to go around her, which is always interesting. But I'm reminded of that story. I don't know if you guys saw it where David Tennant, apparently in his early acting days, invented an assistant for himself. And he confessed to this in an interview. I'll have to see if I can find it. But he said in an interview that he um, had created an assistant. And I can't remember what he made the assistant's name be, but that he would uh, use the assistant the, the mask of the assistant to be meaner and uh, more definite about refusing things than he would have been on his own. Um, but he said, I think it, that it, it came apart when people figured out how to um, be nice to the assistant <laughs> and they could kind of get around the assistant and he would end up caving. Uh, you know, the thing is, is people will always take as willing as much as you're willing to give them. And and I feel like this isn't always a malicious thing. Um, some of it's the marketplace. I brought this up in the Facebook thread, but you know, when I was VP of programs for my local chapter, my uh, local RWA chapter, Land of Enchantment Romance Authors, uh, I did that for two years and I put our speaker honorarium at, tw at $200 because I felt like $200 is, is really kind of a basic amount to, to offer people for their time and expertise. And it's still not very much, which is, it's why you call the, call it an honorarium instead of a fee. For those of you who don't know that the honorarium is basically saying, we know this is a, this is a pittance and we're just offering you this to show that we, we honor you, but we're not actually paying you what you're worth. So, you know, I figured $200 honorarium and then some people we would pay more. Um, especially if we brought them in from elsewhere. If, if they were local, it was $200. But if we, 
asked people to travel, we would pay their expenses and then we would generally pay them a little more. And then the board that came on after me decided to take it back down to a hundred dollars because that's what other RWA chapters did. So it was interesting when um, Angela James who was one of my first editors um, published my first fantasy romance with Karina Press she commented on the thread and Angie said you know RWA chapters tend to be really bad about paying very very low fees and I was telling that story you know and it's like it becomes part of the community group mind and you know it's like oh well this is the market rate and so then we'll just pay the market rate and when the market rate goes down then you know it's like oh well it ties into a whole lot of things that we're struggling with in our society right now about not having raised minimum wage I mentioned some of that yesterday but it's like um yeah at, at what value do you do you set things and and being aware then that that percolates throughout the culture because other people will be like oh well that chapter is only paying a hundred dollars so we should do that too. Uh, alas. So but I won't spend a whole another podcast ranting about this. Uh, one thing I was thinking about this came up in the master class I was teaching on world building and I was thinking about it myself in writing the dragon's daughter and the winter mage um is the idea about it's it's a trope about the person who is in line for the throne and doesn't want the throne and it's interesting because two of the people in that fairly small master class had that trope where the um hero the prince in both cases uh was going to be thrust into the role of kingship and didn't want to be king and they're and and when I asked both of them well why why doesn't he want to be king uh, they both said things that I found not quite convincing um, and this is nothing against them because I see this all the time uh, where they said um, oh well you know he's just a warrior he you know he just uh, would prefer to fight he prefers to be straightforward and not have the political wheeling and dealing and um, or it was that he prefers books and he would rather be in the library and I thought it was interesting because it's it's a fallback trope that I think is meant to convey something that it doesn't quite convey. And that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think it is intended to show that person as being a good and honorable and admirable person because we have this idea in our culture that the people who want power are um, the people who shouldn't have it <laughs> which is um, arguably true right you know we look at the people currently in political office and a whole lot of them are there to serve themselves uh, you know you look at people like that horrible Marjorie Taylor Greene I'm just so embarrassed that she's from Colorado my home state um, you know going on and on about still being an anti 
anti-COVID vaccine. And, and she is just, <laughs> you know, she's almost a monster. She's like a caricature of herself. And, you know, there was a photo of her being in an airport, not wearing a mask. You know, she refuses to wear a mask. And she thinks that she's proving something, but I don't know what. Proving that she's an idiot, <laughs> in my opinion. Sorry, uh, you know, you you knew my politics when you came on, loaded up the pod, podcast, I would hope. Anyone who is a science denier, uh, I just have no, no interest in. So anyway, uh, so there is this idea that the people who, who want to be, have power, if you want to rule that you're somehow um, power hungry, greedy, megalomaniacal, um, not a good person. Is that true? I mean, and it's, it's an interesting trope, especially in fantasy that we often have monarchies, which I think are arguably, um, bad governmental systems. But like in my books, I always make them be a good thing. Well, not always, but generally my rulers either uh, the rulers who supplant the existing system or the ones who uh, are in place are invested in being good rulers because they have the idea of of serving that they feel that uh, sense of responsibility and that onus to to do their best by their people it's it's really the shiny fantasy fantasy in that sense uh, version of of a monarchy. So what we're trying to convey when we have the person who is the reluctant king or, you know, it's always the reluctant king. I can't think of any stories where there was a reluctant queen, which is interesting. So we're trying to show a man, I'm going to stick with this, that it's a man that we're trying to show a man who, um, is somehow good and admirable because he's not like other men. And and we do this, right? We, we do that a lot. You know, she's not like other girls. He's not like other men. Uh, this makes him unique and interesting, but is that really showing what we want it to show? And I think that's, I'm not saying don't do this. I'm not saying that it's not worthwhile, but in both cases, I was pushing the author to be like, well, but, but why, why does he think he, you know, and they're like, well, he, he just thinks he wouldn't be a good king. And I'm like, but why this is, this goes to the, cause I was getting at, I was teaching world building from a character driven perspective. So it's like, let's dig into the character. What is it about his makeup? It has to be more than he would rather be in the books reading, you know, in the library reading books, or he would rather be fighting and not dealing with politics. There, there has to be something more to that because it's possible to be king and still be both of those things, right? So, so it's an interesting question. Um, why people do and don't want the things that they want. And, and that's partly what makes character interesting is if you dig below this surface level trope of, oh, well, you know, the reluctant king and to, why is he reluctant? What is the underlying psychology there that's driving this very unusual behavior, right? Because, uh, you know, being, being king 
Should be a pretty sweet gig. Oh, here's the tohi finally going into the nest. I think it's in the lilac bush. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so anyway, those are my thoughts. If you guys have thoughts, let me know. Um, yeah, I, I haven't heard comments in a long time from Darkstorm. I don't know if you're still out there. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, certainly no onus to comment, but it's always nice to hear from people. And then I, I worry about you when, when I don't. So hope you're all doing well, all of you comments or not. So on that note, I will remind you all that first cup of coffee is part of the frolic media podcast network. You will find more podcasts that you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Thursday. You all take care. Bye-bye.